Heavenly Father, tonight we come before you once again and we bow in anticipation of what you will reveal to us tonight as we open your word together. We are thankful that we can come together and hear from you, that we can know your truth because you reveal it to us, that we have the Holy Spirit to guide us and that we can understand these things. So Lord, illumine our hearts and our minds and help us to be, even as the testimonies we've heard tonight, to be comforted by the truth that we hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please take your Bibles with me and turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. I want to focus our attention tonight on verses 9 through 16. 9 through 16. We have spent a few weeks in these verses already, and tonight I want to finish up our time in them. So follow along as I read these for us. These are, this is the words of Jesus Christ as recorded here for us in the Gospel of John. It says, I ask on their behalf, of course Jesus is praying to the Father, I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no more, no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, I want to just simply be upfront with you tonight as far as my week went when I began my studies. Oftentimes when I study for our time together and I have the opportunity each week to do that, it normally goes without many bumps along the way. It's normally a fairly painless process in one sense for me by way of the practice of studying. And when I begin a portion, when I begin a portion of Scripture, I, I typically, fairly quickly have an idea as to the direction for our study, as to the direction in which God is meaning within a text. But for whatever reason, this week wasn't like that. This week was more of a personal grind than normal. In fact, I, I lamented a few times to my wife concerning my week. And so when I read this text that we have for our study tonight, I, I just smile as how it begins. Notice what it says in verse 9. I ask on their behalf. 
I ask on their behalf. Now just take a minute and let that rest on your mind. Think about it with me and think about the implications of that phrase. Jesus prays, I ask on their behalf. And we know in Jesus' prayer here in John 17 from verse 20 that the word there, the pronoun, T-H-E-I-R, there, I ask on their behalf, we know that it doesn't just refer to the disciples that are with Jesus there that night. Because verse 20 says, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word. So Jesus isn't just praying for the disciples who are there that night. So what ought to impact us as we begin our time is that Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for the believer. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty wonderful thought, isn't it? I mean, it's nice when we go to one another and we say, I'm praying for you. There's a sense of real comfort in that. There's a sense of real like a warm blanket on a cold winter night. It feels good. It's a sense of awe to us. And as I've entitled this series, when we think about Jesus praying, there's nothing better than that. But have you ever wondered why Jesus would find it necessary to pray for us at all? Ever wondered that? I mean... Think about it. This is God the Son praying to God the Father. In other words, this is the one who answers prayer praying. And he's praying for us. Why would Jesus find it necessary to do that? We know that it's necessary. We know that... It has to be necessary because Jesus only does the right thing. Jesus always does the will of the Father. He never does anything that's wrong. He never does anything that's unnecessary. He's always doing the right thing, so it's necessary. It is a necessary prayer for us. But why? I'm like a child before God sometimes. Why? 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 Well, let's just be honest and quickly realize That by way of implication, Jesus is praying for us because we need him to pray for us if we are going to remain in him. We need him to pray for us if we are going to remain in him. We are needy people, even though we are his We are needy people even though we are His. And in this entire prayer from verse 1 all the way down through verse 26, we understand that Jesus Christ is not thinking of Himself when He prays. I mean, if we're honest, that's typically what we pray about ourselves. Lord, help me out of this problem. Lord, help give me this. Lord, make sure you supply what I need. You know, it's, it's, it's a me kind of thing. Jesus isn't praying for himself at all. He is praying 
that his Father would be glorified. That's the ultimate reality of this prayer. That you, Lord, that you, Father, would be glorified. In other words, Jesus' desire is that his Father's glory be seen in all things. Especially, especially in those who are his. Therefore, he says, I ask on their behalf. I ask on their behalf. Do you notice that his prayer is an exclusive prayer? It's an exclusive prayer. In other words, this isn't Jesus simply throwing up some type of prayer on behalf of mankind in general. I ask uh, this general prayer, Lord, make the world a good place. He's He's not saying any of that. This is a prayer only for us. It's only for us. Why? Because we need the help of God to continue in the faith. We need that help. That is why I've said in the previous weeks that Jesus is praying to the Father that the Father would guard our faith. Remember we we learned in verses 1 to 5 that Jesus is praying that, 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 that His Father would finish the work, that He would glorify His name in the ultimate sense, glorify the Son so that the Son might glorify you. Remember that? And he's glorifying you because he's, he's manifesting the authority you gave him to give eternal life. And this is eternal life that they might know you, that they might know Jesus Christ and thereby know you. I glorified you on the earth. I told them that and I've accomplished that work that you gave me to do. Now glorify me together with yourself, with the glory that I had with you before the world ever was. I've done what you asked here, now show them, show them the ultimate reality of your glory by taking me back to the place where I was in glory before the world ever was. And the second thing that Jesus was asking is that our faith be guarded because we need help. We need help that he would guard our faith. And here's how it is worded in this passage. How how is this that Jesus is asking the Father to guard our faith? Here's how it's worded. Notice verse 11. Keep them in your name. That's the first way that Jesus asks for the Father to guard our faith. Keep them in your name. I manifested, verse 6, your name to the men which you gave me out of the world. Remember we talked about that. They were yours. You gave them to me. And I guarded them by giving them your word. So keep them in your name. The name which you gave me. Keep them in your name. And then verse 15, he says a similar way. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one, or really from evil. Keep them from evil, from succumbing to evil. Why? Because we are unable to do that without God. The world, its temptations, the weakness of our own personal endurance cannot. In fact, it will not. It will not endure all of that alone. It will not endure the temptations of the world. It will not endure the weakness of flesh. Jesus knows it. Graciously, he takes us to the Father before he dies for our sin, 
This is prior to the crucifixion. He takes us to the Father, and he asks the Father to guard us. Guard our faith. And so right here, even in the gracious prayer of God the Son to God the Father, we are confronted right here with the theological truth of the sovereign choice of God to save only some. Right here. Here it is again, the doctrine of election. That God is only praying for some and God is only saving some. It's truly here. Look at what Jesus says in verses 9, 10, and 11. Or 9 and 10. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but those whom you have given me, for they are thine. All things are mine, and all things are yours. And I have been glorified in them. It's an exclusive request. It isn't a general request. It's only for those whom are God. So right here is the reality of the exclusive choice of God to save from the world only those whom he's chosen to save. To guard the faith of only those whom he has granted faith. That implies that none of us deserve it. None of us deserve it. And that none of us want him before he saves us. Guard them, keep them, protect them. These are the same ones that God the Father has given to the Son. These are the same ones that verse 6 speaks of. I manifested my name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. They're the same ones that Jesus says these incredible words. I have been glorified in them, verse 10. I have been glorified in them. How? How was Jesus glorified in them and then vicariously throughout the ages through all who are his children? How have they glorified Christ? How have we glorified Christ? Here, the reality is that Jesus is saying it before he dies for our sin. Before he dies for their sin. How do we glorify Christ in this way? I'll just say it this way. We glorify Christ when we believe Christ in every way. Faith. We glorify Christ. When we live by faith. This is why Jesus is praying for that. This is what the disciples did. The disciples believed Jesus in every way. Only one was lost, as verse 12 says, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. That's Judas. We know the reality of that. That was God's plan. That's how God had planned it so that even in that he was glorified. Here's how that truth, by the way, is shown earlier in this gospel. We'll just go to a few places, not only in this gospel, but other places in scriptures. But go back to John chapter 5 for a moment. This idea that God is glorified through belief, through faith. 
And it really shouldn't surprise us that that's the reality here because this is the goal of John in writing this, right? I have written these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you'd have life in his name because in believing in Jesus Christ and God saving you through belief in Jesus Christ glorifies God. John chapter 5. Notice verse 22. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son in order that all may honor the Son even as they honor the Father. Judgment has been given to Christ so that Christ would be honored even as God is honored through judgment. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes what? Him who sent me. God is glorified through faith, through believing his word. He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and doesn't come into judgment, thereby honoring God. John chapter 11. We probably should remember the account well. Jesus is returning to Bethany where Lazarus lived. Lazarus has died. All the people are worried about it. The sisters send for him. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Verse 3. And Jesus hears of it. He says the sickness is not unto death, but what? But for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, what was glorifying God the Father by the incident of Lazarus? Was it the resurrection? Was it the incident of the resurrection? That would be somewhat strange in the sense that Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, when, when, the, when Lazarus saying, can I go back? Or the rich man saying, can I go back and tell my brothers because they, I don't want them to go through this, this burning that I'm in. And Jesus says, or in the parable, it says, they have the law and the prophets. And even if someone raised from the dead, they won't what? Believe. Lazarus was raised from the dead so that others would believe. Believe what? Believe in who Jesus was. Jesus is saying to those who were there. Jesus said to them plainly in verse 14, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sake that I was not there so that you might believe. Why? Because it's through faith that God is glorified. Because then you're believing what God said concerning His Son. Jesus says to Martha in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes... In me shall live even if he dies. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Faith, faith, faith. I'm the resurrection in life. Do you have faith in that? Do you trust that? Because everyone who trusts that has eternal life, even if he dies. Do you have trust in that? Because by that faith, you glorify not only me, you glorify my Father. Chapter 12, we see the same thing. Verse 20, now there were certain Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. 
Jesus came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip said to Andrew, told Andrew, Andrew and Philip came, and they told Jesus, and Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be what? Glorified. He talks about the kernel of wheat dying, giving himself. Now my soul has become troubled, verse 27. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. It's through this reality. It's through this road. It's through the the road to the cross that you're going to be glorified because people are going to believe. They're going to believe that I am who you said I am, which is true, which glorifies you. Turn over to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. A miracle happened in Ephesus at the hands of Paul so that even the handkerchiefs and the aprons that Paul had touched that were being taken places and people were, evil spirits were being thrown out, diseases were being healed just because Paul was touching those things. God was using that even. And, of course, there came this stirring because this Jewish exorcist was there trying to attempt to do the same thing. He came to a man who was filled with evil spirits and the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this kind of stuff. Evil spirit answered and said, I recognize Jesus and Paul, but who are you? He overpowers the guy and beats him up, and the guy runs out of the house with wounded and naked. And it became known to all. This was a story that that went far and wide. It became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who, who lived in Ephesus. And what happened? What happened when the story went out? Man, here's this, here's this stuff that Paul did, and handkerchiefs and aprons are being taken, and people are being healed, and then this guy goes who, who was an exorcist, who was popular in the area, he goes and he tries to throw out this demon, and this demon pounces the guy and beats him up to, the, to a pulp, and he runs out as an egg man, and that story's going far and wide. What happened? Notice verse 17. Fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. That's the word for glorification. It was was being highlighted. Notice verse 18. Many also of those who had believed kept coming and confessing, disclosing their practices. God is being glorified through the faith that some are exercising in Jesus Christ. Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. Perversion of the gospel is taking place. The Galatians are starting to be duped by false teachers who have come in the way and trying to tell them that they, they need more than just Jesus Christ. Paul says, Paul's trying to tell them that He's an apostle as much as anybody else. They can believe what he's saying. 
And he says, then three years, in verse 18, then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that is Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I'm writing uh, to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. He said, then I went to the regions of Syria and and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by the sight of the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they were glorifying God because of me. They heard the story about Paul. They heard what God had done in Paul, and that drove them to the place of glorifying God, of believing what God was doing. Faith was moving them. God was being glorified. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Paul, of course, is in prison. He's writing. He's, people are concerned about him. He says, I, I, verse 19, I, I know that, that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted. He'll be exalted in my body. doesn't matter whether I live or die. Christ is going to be exalted because they see my exercise of faith. They see me walking by faith, trusting God, trusting in what God is doing. You say, well, that's, that's Paul and the disciples and the difficulty they were going through. Well, what's that got to do with us? We'll go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. All the same for us. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, beloved, I urge you, as aliens and strangers, abstain from fleshly lust. You know what that is? Walk by faith. I urge you, walk by faith. Because the fleshly lust wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, among those in whom you live, so that in the thing in which they slander you as someone evil, they may on account of your good deeds, your walk of faith, as they observe you, as they observe your good deeds being manifested through you because you believe God, they will glorify God in the day of visitation. As you walk by faith, God is glorified. Go back to John chapter 17. Jesus is glorified when we exercise the faith that we have been given in every way and on everything that he has said and done. When we exercise faith, when we believe what he has said and what he has done, 
and we live by that, God the Father is glorified. This is why God saved us. This is why we are still here on this earth. So that Jesus Christ is glorified in us through our faith never failing. And so Jesus prays on our behalf. He says, keep them in your name. Father, keep them in your name. We don't normally speak like that. We don't normally talk like that, but every Jew would have known exactly what Jesus was asking for. The disciples certainly would have known. They were Jews. They knew that the name represented everything about a person. Your name was the verbal expression of who you were and what you represented. This is why we hear Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah, or son of Jonas. Bar is the Hebrew word for son. That, that was his name. That, that was the representation. He, he had a had a, a family reputation based upon his name. It was equated with his personality, with his very character. As we were quoting Psalms, I was thinking, this is why the psalmist says things like, trust, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust what? In the name of the Lord. That's what we trust in. What's the psalmist saying in Psalm 20, verse 7? What's he saying? He's saying that those who are God's children trust in the very nature and character of who God is. That word trust is his faith. We believe it. We believe it. This is what his name represents. We don't trust in the things of the world. We don't trust in the might of men. We trust in who God is. He's the only one who can do the task. And so Jesus prays that our faith be guarded in and through the basis of the very character of the Father. Keep them in your name. The inevitable result of God guarding our faith is a oneness and a security for us. Inevitable result is a oneness and a security for us. Notice what he says in verse 11 and 12. I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you had given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished. So the more we understand the one who is guarding our faith, the more we understand God the Father, the more we are unified in our faith. Let me say that again. The more we understand the one who's guarding our faith, the more we are unified in our faith. In other words, the more we know Christ, the more we are drawn to Christ and the more we know of and the more we are drawn to Christ, the more we are unified with each other in that faith. A.W. Tozer put it this way, quote, 
Has it ever occurred to you, Misty will like this, and the others who play the piano will like this, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same tuning fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. He said, in the same way, 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. He went on to say, social religion is perfected when private religion is purified, unquote. I hope we hear what he's saying. The only way that we are going to be unified as a people and the only way that Jesus Christ and thereby God be glorified in us right here in this church is when we tune our lives to Christ by faith individually when we believe Him in everything He said and everything He did. When we walk by faith, when we live by way of trust in Him in every way, we will be unified. It's then that we are ultimately one together and the world sees Christ in us. I was thinking about this in the home. It's when a husband and a wife tune their individual lives to Christ that the beauty of oneness really shines in the eyes of the watching world and their watching family. When they individually tune their eyes to Christ, it is then that they truly are unified and the watching world sees how Christ loves the church. It's only when friends walk individually by faith in Christ that all the things that that friendship finds to be enjoyable in its full expression of Christ's likeness and glorifying God the Father is when they walk by faith individually and they follow Christ and stop trying to look out and say, how can I be better unified with this person? Listen, unify yourself with Christ. It's only when the young dating couple seeks to honor Christ in their life of faith, to believe in Him in every way, in what He said, and to not fudge the line and not cross the line that the relationship truly begins to blossom as one in which God will be honored. It's only when each one of us walks by faith in the Son that we as a corporate church will fully shine forth the beauty of oneness that the world needs to see. By our faith in Christ, the world glorifies God in the day of visitation, 1 Peter 2.11 says. So Jesus says, oh, Father, keep them in the power of your name. Keep them in the power of your name. There's no other way you're going to be glorified unless you do that. 
result will be a fullness of joy. Notice verse 13, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, get this, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. (laughs) I say this to them so that they might have my joy. Let me just say this. Not walking by faith will rob you of your joy. Not walking by faith will rob you of your joy. You say, why do you say that? Because joy finds its foundation, get this, in the words of Christ. Or let me say it another way. Joy finds its foundation in sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. These things I speak, he says. These things I speak. He's not praying for some kind of sentimentalism. Jesus isn't praying for some kind of so-called fake smile in the midst of trouble. Oh, just put on a happy face, my wife and I used to say years ago. Listen, joy doesn't always have a smile on its face. When pain is happening, pain is happening. But that doesn't mean I lost my joy in the Lord. Joy doesn't always have a smile on its face. Jesus isn't crying out that, that we would have some kind of fake sentimentalism, fake smile on our face, trying to tell everybody, oh, I'm really happy. No, he's asking that we would have his joy. His joy. And how are we to have his joy? Through what he's told us. I speak these things. I, verse 14, have given them what? Your word. I've given them your word. That's sound doctrine. We have joy through sound doctrine. Listen, we need His joy. We need that kind of joy. Why? Because the reality is that the world and its ways will steal your joy if you listen to it. That's what it will do. This is why Jesus is praying that our faith be guarded because doubt is the temptation of the world. That's what the world wants us to do. Doubt what Jesus is saying. Doubt what Jesus did. Doubt the validity of God. The world says, don't believe the Bible. The world says, don't follow it. The world says, it's only going to bring you trouble if you get into that kind of stuff. The world says, oh, it's just a book of do's and don'ts. Come with us and really live. That's what the world says. This is where true joy can be found. Jesus says, don't believe it. Don't believe it. That's a lie. The only way you're going to find true joy is to listen to his words. Father, I told them the truth about you so that they might have my joy. Because my joy comes from truly knowing you. You and I are one. And I have given them your word. And the world, well, well, the world, verse 14, has hated them. It has hated them. So I don't ask that you take them out of the world. I'm not asking that you do that. 
All I'm asking is that you glorify yourself in them by keeping them from evil. Guard them. Guard them. Guard their faith. Guard their faith. Show the world who you are by keeping them faithful. They're not of this world. You are the only true God. And so our relationship to the world is not to be one of withdrawal. That's our tendency. That's what we that's what happens to us even as Christians. We like to withdraw. That's the temptation, especially when it's getting tough because of our faith. Because the world's going that way, and we say, I'm not going that way, I'm going to stand right here because God said this. The temptation is to just isolate ourselves, to get in our little cloisters, to be our little group, us four, no more. Let's keep the world out because the world is bad. There's no badness over here. The world's over there. Keep badness away from us. Life can be hard. I was reading in the Psalms this week, Psalm 55, even the psalmist wanted to escape. Psalm 55, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Have you ever felt like that? I have. Talk to my wife some week. She'll tell you, yeah, he's feeling like that again. The whole idea of escape is common. It's a common doctrine in our world. That is typically the root cause of the slavery of some to alcohol and drugs. They just want to escape. Want to escape it all. People attempting to escape the difficulties of life. But that is not to be our relationship with the world. We cannot become, as John Stott said years ago, quote, rabbit hole Christians. I thought that was a great thought. We cannot be rabbit hole Christians. You know what he means? We cannot be those who run into the hole in the den and only come out when we think it's safe. can't be like that. Christ prays that we would not become like that. And the answer to overcoming that kind of temptation is not isolation. The answer is walking by faith in the words concerning Jesus Christ. In the words that he has given us. To believe it. To live according to it. So that's why Jesus is praying for us. That's why he's praying for us. Why? Because we need it. We need him to pray for us. Because if God does not guard our faith, guess what? We're going to fail. If God doesn't guard us, if he doesn't keep us, if he doesn't protect us, then we are going to fail. There's no way we could ever stand up to the onslaught of the world. No way. Our flesh already wants it. Let alone the fact that it's throwing everything at us. But when we walk by faith, the faith that he has given us, our faith proves that God is doing exactly what Jesus asked for. And even when it's difficult, we have his joy. We have his joy. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world, that's what Jesus said. 
Now, I want to just close our time by reading from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, of course, coming off the heels of the hall of faith, since we have this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also. That means in the same way they did. You want to rehearse what it means to walk by faith? Go read chapter 11. Rehearse it. Rehearse how they walked by faith, how they believed what God said and God was glorified through their walk of faith in them. Let us also, the same way, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Despising the shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. You want to walk by faith? Fix your eyes on Christ. Everything he said and everything he is. Walk by faith, guarded by God, no matter what happens. So Jesus prays, Father, finish the work, glorify yourself. Father, guard their faith. There's two more petitions he makes in this prayer. Mention them at the beginning. We'll get to them more. But he wants us to be set apart, sanctified. We see that in verse 17. And then he prays that God would just bring us home. We'll get to those next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this opportunity tonight just to kind of revel in the wonder and majesty of your prayer on our behalf to the Father. And how protected we are by your gracious hand. How you always told us what is true and right. And you have commanded that we believe. And by believing, you are glorified. Because if we really believe, we walk according to it. Help us to do that. That you might be glorified in us. That our lives would be a reflection of the very thing that you are doing so that others would glorify you because of us. Thank you for these things. Use us by your grace as we go out from here that the world might know the truth concerning your Son. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.